Thank you very much, Rabbi Jonathan Singer. It is my honor and pleasure to be here. I was looking at the audience and I was looking at the first row and I was thinking about a very amazing fact. Um, what made me think about it is that this week my son will turn to be 10. My son is going to be ninth generation in Israel on my wife's side. But there is one thing about 10-year-olds. I think that is the time when people stop sitting at the first row and they start moving backward for some reason. Doesn't matter where, in Chicago, in Hong Kong, in Azerbaijan, all the places that are served, 10 is the cutting date, I guess. So um, it is a pleasure to be here. Today, we are gathered here at the end of 22 days that encompass the most important historic events of the Jewish people, from ancient times to modern era. Just three weeks ago, Jews around the world were commemorating Passover, a celebration of our ancestors' exodus from Egypt. We remember the worst tragedy in ancient times, the enslavement of the Hebrew people, their search for freedom, and the long journey that brought them to the promised land of Israel. Throughout history, the yearning to return to the land of Israel has been the focus of Jewish life. On Passover, it is our duty not only to remember, but also to continue to tell the story of our deliverance to younger generations so the memory will not be lost over time. Early next week, we will celebrate the dream. Next week, the world will celebrate the modern state of Israel, 66, uh, year of independence. Established in 40, 1948, this day marks the restoration of Jewish independence. It is a celebration of the renewal of those who rose against all odds from the ashes of the crematoriums to join their brothers and sisters and create a state in the land of Israel, our birthplace. Early this week, we commemorated in Israel and around the world Yom HaShoah. The worst manifestation of racism and hatred towards the Jewish people. It was a day of reflection on the past and a day when we recommit ourselves to making sure that the phrase never again is not merely an empty cliche. It is important to recognize that the condition of the Jewish people today is fundamentally different than it was 75 years ago on the eve of the Holocaust. Our condition is different not because there is no longer hatred for the Jewish people. You see that hatred every day, not so much in San Francisco, but from the pledges of the Iranian regime to wipe Israel off the pages of history, to the alarming actions of some individuals and organizations in the Ukraine, to the terrorism and genocidal incitement of Hezbollah and Hamas, and to the murderous actions of a modern-day racist near Kansas City. This hatred persists despite the hopes of Theodore Herzl, the writer of Old New Land, the founder of Zionism, the modern national movement of the Jewish people. Herzl hoped, in fact, believed that if the Jews had their own state, anti-Semitism would fade away. Herzl was a man whose vision turned him into a modern-day prophet. But history 
has completely turned on, his, on its head his belief that the establishment of the Jewish state would end hatred towards the Jewish people. Whereas 100 years ago, some argued that, only, that if only the Jews would establish their own state, anti-Semitism would end. Today, others argue that if we only dismantle that same state, anti-Semitism would end. In the first decades of the 20th century, the call of anti-Semites was Jews go to Palestine. At the beginning of the 21st century, the call of anti-Semites is Jews get out of Palestine. One of the most alarming facts is that there are even Jews who are buying into this idea. But while the rebirth of Jewish sovereignty did not end hatred towards the Jews, it did solve the existential challenges of the individual Jew. It gave the Jewish people the ability to defend themselves against that hatred. Israel fundamentally transformed the condition of the Jewish people. It provided us with two things that our parents and grandparents did not have in those dark days of the 1930s. First, and most important, it restored our capacity for collective self-defense, something we had not had for nearly 2,000 years. That capability is the reason why Israel exists today. You know, it's often said that the United Nations created the State of Israel. That is simply not true. The State of Israel was created when David Ben-Gurion declared it and when Israelis defended it against the onslaught of those determining to snuff it out in its cradle. All the UN decisions in the world would not have helped the Jewish people one iota if Israel had lost its war of independence or any of the battles that followed for that matter. Look at what is happening in our region, in the Middle East. The UN is harshly condemning what is happening in Syria, for example. They even tried to provide some humanitarian relief to the injured and the refugees, all a moment too late. Israel's capacity for self-defense has also enabled us for the last 66 years to defy the odds and build the remarkable country that Israel has become today. When the first settlers came to Boston in the 16th and 17th century, they found lush forests, they found turkeys. That's why you celebrate Thanksgiving. There was something to say thank you for. When our fathers came to Israel in the 19th century, my wife's family, all they find were mosquitoes and salt. There was nothing to say thank you for. This is why in Israel we do not celebrate Thanksgiving. This is the hand that we were dealt. And because of that, we had to be innovative, we had to be creative. We had to become a global, creative, and innovative power. A pioneer in science and medicine, a world leader in agriculture, energy, and water, a country teeming with creativity, design, and culture, a country that is only second to Canada in the percentage of holders of a university degree, which means that the Canadians are the smartest people on the face of the planet. That may explain why they're such great supporters of Israel. 
This capacity for self-defense is helping us navigate Israel's ship of state through some very choppy seas. At a time when the entire Middle East is steeped in bloodshed and violence, Israel has remained an island of stability, which is a testament to both Israel's robust defensive strength, but also to her commitment to democracy. We are the only functioning democracy in the entire Middle East. We have assured rights, we have a representative government, we have separate judiciary, and we have a Declaration of Independence which draws its language directly from the United States Declaration of Independence. We have a country where nobody is above the law, even the lawmakers themselves. We have a country where an Arab Supreme Court judge is sending a former Israeli president, a Jewish president, to prison. We are also an impatient democracy where every three people are forming a political party and where we can't wait four years to change our prime minister. Maybe that explains why we are also the world's first in the use of smartphones. We just can't postpone gratification. We must get our news and messages here and now. At the same time, we are warm and loving people. We are the world's first in the number of I love you messages we send to each other. We love to argue, but we love to love. Dear friends, Israel has solved the existential problem of the individual Jew. If you are persecuted for being Jewish, if you lose your job, if you lose your medical insurance, or just that your mother strongly insists that you find a nice Jewish doctor, Israel is the answer. In addition, we solved another challenge. 75 years ago, on the eve of the Holocaust, there was no one to speak up on behalf of the Jewish people. Today, in France or Ethiopia, in Hungary or Yemen, the Jewish people have a voice. It may be the voice of the Prime Minister, of the Israeli Prime Minister, speaking at the United Nations. It may be the President of Israel speaking at the Davos Summit in Europe or the voice of Israeli ambassadors and consul generals around the world who have the privilege of representing the one and only Jewish state in the capitals of the world. But in speaking up to defend the rights of the Jewish people, Israel is not alone. Today we know that we have wonderful brothers and sisters who are with us, you that as annoying and as argumentative as we sometimes can be, you, our brothers and sisters, understand that in defending the rights of Jews, we are also defending the rights of others. And that in defending the rights of others, we are also defending the rights of Jews. As a community and as a large family, we agree on so many things, but we also have to work out some differences. Differences in how we interpret our tradition. Judaism today is not what it used to be 3,000 years ago. It is a variety of interpretations. We must work harder to accept all interpretations as equal. I'm glad to say that this train has left the station. It's moving. Certainly, there is still a track in front of us, but the train is moving and in the right direction. 
the right direction at the Kotel, the right direction in public space, in sharing the burden, in the recognition by the state of diverse rabbinic leadership, in, re, uh, in respecting egalitarian interpretations of Judaism, and more. The train moves forward while we know that there are more stops ahead before we reach our final destination. We are one family. One aspect of the work of my colleagues and I, official representative of the state, is to reflect that need to decision makers back home. And we do. We do speed up the train of pluralism. And personally, I have no doubt that this train will reach its destination. Dear friends, as a collective, we still have some challenges. What are the main challenges for Israel these days? I already mentioned the challenge to become even more tolerant and inclusive. I want to mention two more because they're all over the news. The first one is stopping Iran from acquiring the capability to produce weapons of mass destruction. And the second one is our unyielding pursuit of peace. On Iran's nuclear program, let me state clearly what Israel's policy is. Our policy is simple. Let Iran have only peaceful nuclear energy program and nothing more. The truth is, we all know that Iran doesn't need even a peaceful nuclear energy program. It's awash in oil and gas. Still, if diplomacy demands that Iran is allowed to have peaceful nuclear energy, then so be it. But there are 17 countries around the world that have peaceful nuclear energy, that do not enrich uranium on their soil, do not stockpile enriched uranium, do not have underground enriched bunkers, and do not have heavy water facilities, Iran needs none of these things. Iran also doesn't need intercontinental ballistic missiles whose only purpose is to carry a nuclear warhead. Yet, it insists on having all of those things. You know why? Because Iran is not interested in a peaceful nuclear program. Iran wants nuclear weapons. Our obligation together is to make sure that the only deal that should be acceptable to the international community is one which fully dismantles Iran, Iran's nuclear weapons program. I also want to address the current impasse with the Palestinians. Let me explain our position regarding the recent pact President Abbas signed with Hamas. Hamas is an unreformed terror organization. Its charter calls for the murder of Jews worldwide. They praise bin Laden and condemn the United States for killing him. It is often said that one makes peace with enemies. That is true, but not entirely true. One makes peace with enemies who want peace, like Israel did with Egypt, like Israel did with Jordan. Hopefully, we'll do that with the Palestinians too. If Hamas does recognize Israel's right to exist, and renounces terrorism, then it would be an entirely different story because Hamas would no longer be Hamas. Then Palestinian unity could be considered a unity for peace. Now it's un a unity against peace. So if President Abbas chooses peace, we can go back to the negotiation table. Friends, 
Israel faces enormous challenges, but on this day, let us keep things in perspective. The parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents of most of the people in this room would have given anything to swap their challenges with ours. Today, the Jewish people are no longer a powerless people, and Israel is not alone. We have the support of so many friends around the world, especially in this great country, the United States. The Jewish people have weathered the worst that history has thrown at us. We will weather this storm as well. So we should all stand very tall and very proud because we are a uniquely blessed generation. Not because Israel has a record. This one I'm sure you haven't heard. We are the world's third most devoted eaters of chocolate. Yes, we are after Luxembourg and Iceland. But we should stand tall and proud because we are blessed to have witnessed the rebirth of Jewish sovereignty in modern times, and with it, a renewed hope for a secure and prosperous Jewish future. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. And happy 66th Independence Day. Toda Rabah. We are so honored to have you on the Bima and have you represent that freedom and that renewal of our people that we are a part of as well, that engagement and that ongoing hope to 